You all know by now, Selwyn's Fall preaching series is entitled Known by Heart. Scripture every Christian should know. The series itself is born out of the scripture we're going to read together in just a moment. This text, attributed to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, is also the theme and focus of Selwyn's yearly stewardship campaign. Here's why. Within the last few years, we've been disoriented, disrupted, distracted, and more obviously, disassembled. In a word, we've been exiled. While you find your pew Bible, if you don't mind, and turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. It's page 721 in the Old Testament. That's been a while, y'all. Let's dust them off. I'm going to give you the scoop on Jeremiah as you all turn your pages. Long before he was a prophet, God emancipated the Israelites from enslavement in Egypt. And then God establishes a covenant on Mount Sinai with Moses. As they embark upon a 40-year journey through the wilderness, the Ten Commandments are written on stone tablets. The tablets were lugged throughout the wilderness and eventually destroyed by God after the little golden calf incident. Then they were rewritten and carried throughout the wilderness some more. Israel tries to be faithful. God is faithful. At some point or another, God directs them to love the Lord with all their hearts and their souls and their mights. God commands them to teach this to their children, to talk about it when they're at home and when they're away and when they lie down and when they rise up. And they were supposed to write God's law on their doorposts. And well, there were good times, there were bad times, there were ups and downs and twists and turns and manna and miracles. And if not by the grace of God, they finally landed in the promised land. And it was really good until it wasn't so good. By the time Jeremiah hits the scene, the Israelites were already divided into two kingdoms, northern Israel and southern Judah. And folks had violated just about every single aspect of God's commandments and covenant that they could find. The Canaanite gods were being worshipped. Yahweh was ignored. The priests were corrupt. The leaders were violent. The policies were abusive. The widows were ignored. The orphans were abandoned. The immigrants were exploited. And the more Jeremiah spoke up, the more Jeremiah shared the truth, the more he threatened and warned and shouted, the more he was ignored. Finally, Judah was sacked by Babylon. And once again, God's chosen people were disoriented, disrupted, distracted, disassembled, exiled. So now that we found it, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, let's read it together out loud. Take note that when we get to the word husband, some translations use the word companion instead. Let's see what we can do. Y'all ready? Here we go. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we may have been exiled, but we're here now. A sanctuary in Hebrew is a sacred holy refuge set apart in the wilderness. We're on our way, Selwyn. We're back in business, liturgy, music, baptisms, but perhaps we're still a bit disoriented and disillusioned. What if so much time has passed? What if so much has been lost? What if we can't find our mojo hope? Do you remember the time that God took you by the hand and led you out of Egypt? Do you remember that time so long ago when we felt God's presence and we promised to give thanks? Well, sure we do. But the storms are still surging and the food pantries are still a little empty and the news is still stressful and our masks are still on and our politicians and the football fans and the interstate drivers and our family members and our next door neighbors are still yelling and blaming, or at least they're rolling their eyes. 93% more people in America were screened for anxiety in 2020. According to a recent poll by the American Psychiatric Association, 50% of all parents reported at least one child in their household is struggling with anxiety due to the impact of the pandemic. Many of our loved ones who are older adults living in senior care facilities are still isolated and they're still slow to recover from prolonged loneliness. Some of us are only now beginning to come to terms with the significant disruption and loss that we've all collectively endured as a result of the isolation from one another. Where did we put those stone tablets anyway? I haven't seen them for months. What if we can't remember the last time we felt God's presence in our lives? What if the church doesn't matter as much as we thought it did? What if what they say is true? Social institutions are losing relevance and most churches are in decline. <laughs> Am I depressing you yet? Whenever life is stripped to the bones by war or heartbreak or cancer or violence or natural disaster or pandemic, our very identity and our purpose, the essence of who we are and what matters most is called into sharp focus. Because everything we thought we knew, everything we depended upon, including our institutions and relationships and assumptions about today, much less tomorrow, are no longer the same. Everything has been turned upside down. What if 
The Babylonians rushed in later this afternoon and destroyed our beloved sanctuary. What if they built a tower of multi-level condominiums as a monument to their gods right here on 2929 Selwyn Avenue? How would our relationships, our neighborhood, our mission partnerships, or our city, how would they be impacted? What would be lost? What if Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church no longer existed? How would your life be different? This is a serious question about who we are as a church and what matters most. And perhaps the day we step into a very important stewardship season, perhaps this is the right day to ask it. But here's the thing. The Israelites lost everything including access to their holy places within the land of milk and honey. They lost everything at least twice. And yet their loss and their fear and their depression and their anger and their grief and their countless, countless mistakes, none of that's their story. And it's not our story either. You may have forgotten. You may have given up a little bit. You may be disillusioned. You may need a little bit more time. You may not trust anyone. You may not have whispered a prayer or read a piece of scripture. The grief may be overwhelming. You may be moving too fast. You may be lonely. You may not have opened your Bible or sung a song or given one dollar to the mission of this church. Maybe we've buried the tablets. Maybe we have forgotten. But God has not. God will not. You see, even if God is establishing a new covenant, the promise itself has never changed. I am your God and you are my people. I will not leave you or abandon you or destroy you. It is as if God is saying, you guys just try me. The darkness is not dark to me. God's promise is rooted in the same steadfast love that has always been there. In the face of our disobedience and disorientation and doubt, Jeremiah is reaching back to the origins of God's love for all of humanity. And it is there that we discover God's love is all about forgiveness. God simply forgets to let us go. The word of God has been written on baby William's heart by God's very hand. It is a story of blessing and grace, and it is the only story that leads to freedom and peace and reconciliation. Because God is active and God is with us and God is gracious. The covenant itself isn't new, but the surface on which God is writing is. As if to say, Clearly, we cannot rely on those old stone tablets, and clearly you people have forgotten the importance of telling each other the story. So let me tell you that I am going to take my pen and write it myself. And of all the places that God would choose to write, God moves straight through the thick layers of bone and muscle and cynicism and doubt and ego and goes straight for the heart like a surgeon. Why? Because the heart sits at the core 
of our being. And only God can get into that most sacred sanctuary that we would rather close off. As George Packer writes, the most durable narratives are not actually the ones that stand up to fact-checking. They are the stories that address our deepest needs and desires. And you tell me what we all desire the most. It is to be known. It is to be valued. It is to be loved. But Jeremiah, he isn't talking about emotional intimacy or memorizing Bible verses or divisive ideas about who's really in and who's really out. Clearly, he states the new covenant was for both kingdoms. The new thing God is doing, this covenant of knowing and loving and being, is etched on our hearts. And it defines our actions and our attitudes and our priorities out in the world. It is the fulcrum on which our entire lives pivot. This promise is the story of our lives. This covenant of salvation, it's initiated by God and realized in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And yes, it's calling us to turn back, to repent, and to remember. Just look at the words on our communion table. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. But it also calls us to look ahead with hope and with joy. And so here we are, by the grace of God, practicing, reading, stumbling a little bit with our microphones, singing and ringing and pivoting. Here in this sacred sanctuary, all is not lost. It's been a hard year. Some of us are grieving people that we have loved and lost, sanctuaries that we've loved and lost. But here we all are. It's ridiculously good. I see like Shannon and Chad Brown and Pat Ferguson and Vanessa and Mindy and Don out from Florida. I see the Thompsons. I see all y'all over there. It's ridiculous. It's so good. We're not in decline, Selwyn. We've welcomed 15 new members this year. We've baptized 10 babies. We have 13 compromands showing up at 9.30 every Sunday. Your session is creative and committed. A children's choir is going to sing next Sunday. And our circles and small groups are meeting again. You tell me what story defines your life. What story drives your actions in the world? As a part of a leadership initiative for thriving congregations, Selwyn was invited to head up to Montre Conference Center last week. I went up there with five members of Selwyn. We met eight other churches, and we began to ask some of these really hard questions about our identity and our values. And we're also being trained to connect and to build relationships in ways that will inspire and transform our community. The initial team is Dick Metzler, Gazelle Johnson, Ashley Armistead, Jamie Urwood, Lou Wapel, and Courtney McClellan. This team will grow. You are invited. At the very beginning of the conference, we were given 15 minutes to write something that would describe Selwyn's identity and our place in the world. It's not going to win a Pulitzer Prize. But I thought it was worth sharing. 
as all of us gather together to consider what's at stake for Selwyn Avenue and for our mission partners through this season. So here we go. There's a church on Selwyn Avenue? Yeah, we're the big small church across from the Circle K. It's not flashy, it's not fancy, but it's authentic. There's a church on Selwyn Avenue? Yep, we're Selwyn Avenue on Selwyn Avenue. We're near a high school and a middle school in Montclair Elementary and Selwyn Elementary and, well, Selwyn Pub. We need to slow down because there's a church on Selwyn Avenue where the church with space for others, no prerequisites. We are the church with open doors for he and she and they. Heels and pearls and jeans and slides, come as you are, stay as you are, leave and come on back. We'll miss you because we really do know you. We are reformed and reforming, traditions not traditional, serving not converting, united not the same. We are the place where the young meet the old, with jazz and bluegrass, fried chicken and sweet tea and JC. God has been faithful. There's so much to celebrate and so much to cherish. Amen. Would you please pray with me? God of our joyful days and our aching days, we give thanks that we can trust you with the heaviest parts of our heart. And so we bring you the burdens of our complicated world, and we ask that you lighten the load. In the midst of challenging news and complicated lives, we still pause in awe at the beauty of your creation. The sliver of moon in the night, a week of much needed rain, cool winds in the evening and changing leaves that fall. And so our prayers of longing are punctuated with gratitude. Hear both our cries for relief and our songs of joy. Sometimes our words of lament get stuck in our throats, but we yearn for a better world, one that brings to life your plans for wholeness and well-being to fulfillment for all. Teach us the ways of peace with our global neighbors, within our polarized societies and our local communities. Breathe life into the lungs of those who are trampled down. Turn the hearts of the oppressors. Stir our compassion and energies when indifference sets in for other people's struggle. God of grace, we offer our prayers for the needs of others and commit ourselves to serve them. In this moment of prayer, we remember those who are overwhelmed by the burden of leadership, those who are exhausted from navigating uncertainty and change, those who are ill and their caregivers, those who are in need of courage to move forward. God, you call us to journeys where we can't always see the destination. Things are unknown and we don't know where we will turn next. Give us faith to go out with courage, not knowing where we go, but only knowing that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. We pray all these things and the prayers that rest on our hearts in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we enter into a time of discipleship, I would like to invite Elder Ed Thomas forward. Well, good morning. Um, before I get started, I wanted to do a couple of things. First tell you that I'm Ed Thomas and not J.D. Yearwood, uh, who's in the uh, bulletin today. I, I do wish I had his golf swing, though, so uh, uh, I've, I've witnessed that. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. Uh, J.D. and I are co-chairs of this year's stewardship campaign, and before I get started with what we're going to do a little bit different this year, uh, we're going to talk about what Selwyn means to each of us. I want to give you a few facts in addition to the ones that Laurie gave us this morning as we head into this year's giving season. First, our goal this year is 780 grand. That's up from 690 last year, and that's a $90,000 increase. Uh, our pledge goal is 130 pledges. That's up from 113 last, from last year. Uh, to date, we have 21 pledges for $152,000. So uh, I'm an old sales guy, and it's always good to get a head start. And that is a really nice start for uh, for this year's campaign, particularly since we just got the, uh, the announcements and the letters out this, uh, this week. So thank you for that. And by the way, J.D. and I were going to sign them, but we were both out of town, so sorry about that. Uh, that's okay. All right. Uh, I'd rather be telling, uh, singing about what Selwyn means to me than talking about it, because it's a little easier for me to be up here doing that than it is. Uh, I don't have the same gift that Laurie and our our ministers do. But I'm going to give it a shot, so here we go. Uh, my Selwyn's, what does Selwyn mean to me? And my Selwyn story starts with an 11-year-old girl back in 1942. Uh, that little girl was in this building, and if you've never seen this, you ought to take a look at it. It's pretty cool. That was our church, and that's in the, uh, I don't know what we call that now, I guess the parlor. And uh, that was the building that day one when Sam, uh, Dr. Joe Geddes who was the organizing pastor, uh, held the first service in this rural mission church uh, here on Selwyn Avenue. Uh, yep, it's hard to believe, but we were literally out in the country back in those days. Uh, you wouldn't believe it today. Uh, jump ahead 10 years later, and that little girl got married uh, back in the fellowship hall uh, by Reverend Sam Inman, who was the first installed minister that we had here at Selwyn. Uh, they got married just five days after uh, her new husband returned home from Korea, from the Korean War. So uh, uh, there's a story behind that, but I never heard it. Uh, Reverend Sam's picture used to hang right out here on the wall, and uh, Dad and I used to say hi to him every Sunday. And I'm not sure. I'll try to find out from Jill Kent what happened to that, what happened to that portrait. It was pretty cool saying hello to that guy every every week a few few years later i came along and i got baptized by the next pastor who was dr chester keller uh dr keller uh baptized me right over there just like we just baptized my man william today uh, one difference that uh 
that I had when, than, than William did. I actually threw up on my dad that day. Uh, and I'm not sure that he's ever really forgiven me for that. Uh, I went to the nursery and then the preschool downstairs. That later became the CDC while Bob Ramey, our next pastor, was our senior minister. In elementary school, one of my Sunday school teachers was actually Willa Mae Young. Uh, Suzanne Newsom and I were both taught by her, as were many, many other children over the years uh, in this church. And I, I'll say I miss her. I wish she was here. Uh, we had acolytes back then. For those who don't know what an acolyte is, that's a little candle lighter. And when we got to do that, we got to sit in that cool chair right over there, that little chair right there. And uh, we got to sing when we lit the candle. We sat there like, as a member of the choir. And as a 13-year-old, I sang so loud that our dear friend and 30-plus-year organist and choir director, Lib Houston, said, we're going to stick this kid in the choir. So that's, that's, that's how I got there. I also got to sing alongside that little girl who was my mom and her husband, who's my dad, who is still singing in this church 70 years later. Then time passed. Selwyn and I both continued to grow, and Reverend Paul Rademacher joined us. I occasionally brought one of my two kids here. Uh, they went to St. Gabe's with my wife, Mary Ann, and they thought that Paul was really funny. And actually, he really was. One day, Beth Carter and I ran the, ran the, when we ran the personnel committee, Paul resigned during the meeting. I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. And we were sitting in the old session room. I literally had no idea what to do. So naturally, I called Hank Hankins. Because you know you always call your attorney when something goes wrong. Or, is that right? Uh, thank you, Hank. Hank and the otherwise church leaders set us on a path that day and that time that led us to Rush Odie being called to sell it. Rush was a real inspiration to me and my family. On Rush's watch, a new young pastor named Lori Rabel showed up. Today, she continues that long, rich tradition of great spiritual leaders here at Selwyn. She's also helped me personally recognize that after all these years, I'm called to give back to congregation in new ways, like Selwyn has always given to me. I'm sure we know how, I'm sure we all know how blessed we are to have her here along with Lisa, Margot, Ashley, Nancy, and Gay and Fred. A few years ago, the Lord decided it was time for that once little 11-year-old girl to come live with him as a member of the church triumphant. During the service that day, Rush, Lori, Mary Bowman drove that little girl home. Fred led the choir with music that was some of the best and most beautiful we've ever had in here, and I should know since Dad and I have been here for most of them. And folks, that's what Selwyn means to me. And hey, I got one more thing. Look how many kids we have here. In this little thing you got in the mail, there are 230 kids at this church, one of them being my buddy William. Uh, that's almost as many adults as we have here. Uh, look at my friend and co-chair J.D. Yearwood and his wife Jamie. They have three beautiful little girls who are really no different than my mom was. Each child at Selwyn has a chance to be shaped like I was like Suzanne Newsom was, like William will be, and we must continue that nurturing spirit to them and to future generations. That's right, it's our privilege, it's God's plan, and it's what we have to do. So, that's what Selwyn means to me, and I thank you for your continued and renewed support this stewardship season.
friends, let us now return the gifts of our lives to God.
Let us now dedicate our gifts to God, praying together our prayer of dedication. Let us pray. Generous God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have shown us what it means to love. By your covenant of grace, write your law of love on our hearts. Give us unwavering passion and tenacious faith. Until the hungry are fed, the oppressed find peace, and the outsider belongs. You are our God. We are your people. May our commitments and offering of time, talent, and treasure exhibit God's reign to the world. Amen. of God's steadfast love and grace sustain you all no matter where you go and no matter who you encounter. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts until we meet again. Amen.